Hello and welcome to the Spine Nerd Podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Hovez. And my name is Dr. Nicholas Carvelis. And thank you guys again for listening and paying attention. Um, we really do appreciate everybody who tunes in, uh, listens, sends us some feedback. Uh, it's been really fun to uh, go on this journey. And, you know, Dr. Carvelis and I were kind of talking about ideas about what we would want to kind of convey and what research we've been reading and things that are interesting. Uh, and the topic of patient buy-in and how to how to make sure that we're making the best long-term impact for our patients uh, continuously comes up. And I think specifically for our practice, this is such an, an important uh, time of thinking about uh, opiate management and medication management at large, um, just because of, you know, specifically what our practice is doing uh, for our community currently uh, in, in terms of taking on uh, a challenging patient base and trying to make uh, more educated moves uh, and decisions about the, their current care and then their current care into the future. Um, so Dr. K, uh, introduce us a little more into specifically where we're going to go today. Yep. And uh, so essentially what we want to discuss today, like Dr. Hovez uh, said, uh, in the broader theme of, you know, um, working with the patient, uh, obviously continue to do everything we can to optimize their health and symptoms, but very much understanding that if the patient is also uh, working actively to, to improve their health and their function and their symptoms, that we are going to have so much more, uh, not only uh, greater success, but sustained uh, success. Um, and so Within that realm, one, one of the things we wanted to discuss specifically today is uh, reduction in opioid use. And, you know, the consideration of opioid reduction is medically appropriate to optimize patient safety and based upon the best available research also improves patients' uh, pain and function in the long term, especially in specific patients. Uh, and that is a, uh, I think, obviously a a very um, widespread thought process, uh, appropriately so. And it's a very simple thing to say that, you know, hey, we should have these patients either on lower doses or off of opioids uh, to optimize their safety and, and even their pain and function. Um, although it's simple to say as anyone who uh, attempts to do this with patients, it is a very complex and difficult thing to achieve clinically. Um, you know, an opioid taper can be very difficult uh, and cause significant uh, stress and distress for the patient. Um, and the other thing to take into consideration is that although the, the database is growing, there is relatively limited research and guidance on this topic for providers. Um, there is some literature, including uh, an, uh, an article titled Tapering Long-Term Opioid Therapy in Chronic Non-Cancer uh, Pain, uh, this was published in um, Mayo Clinic Proceedings in 2015 by Dr. Berna and colleagues, and that is a good uh, resource uh, for providers that are looking for guidance in terms of how to uh, do these tapers. Um, one of the one of the key take homes in uh, take home points in that article is that you know that how to decrease opioids in a way that should not precipitate withdrawal and generally would be well tolerated. That article talks about doing a 10% decrease uh, per week um, with uh, some fine tuning moving forward. But bottom line is there is some research out there, but even that article, uh, the majority of their gradations in terms of recommendations, you know, are expert opinion. Um, 
uh, uh, realm in terms of in terms of what they're basing those uh, gui guidance guidelines on. Yeah. And I think so, yeah, I think what you're what you're talking about also is I mean, or at least what you uh, brought up is you know the idea that it is easy for us to talk about, right? I mean, people say this all the time. I think you know the in the general public and even kind of locally in our community, we've seen this where people are like oh we just stopped prescribing opiates, right? And then, but you're not talking about how you're actually setting these patients up for success. You know, not just the patients, but all, obviously their, you know, primary care physicians, their family, their so social support system, um, because it's, it isn't that simple, right? And, and it is something that, you know, is very hard on these patients, especially if, you know, a lot of these patients have been on medications for a long time. You know, many of them go back to, you know, the 90s and early 2000s. They're like, no, my doctors told me this was the only thing that I could do. Um, you know, and unfortunately, at the time, maybe that was, you know, the thought process or the case, but obviously we've learned more. And so trying to help patients through that um, in a way that's going to help them to be successful, I think, is kind of where, where um, you know, you're directing things, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, uh, and as we, as we, as we discussed, you know, there, there is some data out there, but there's definitely a need for additional long-term uh, data in regards to opioid tapers. And so one of the articles that we'll discuss specifically today starts to provide some of that uh, evidence for us. Um, there, I, I'm going to bring up a couple of points, and as I'll emphasize at the end, you know, this is not by any stretch of the imagination to uh, uh, to suggest that we should not be doing these tapers. Um, uh, as Dr. Hovez and I have emphasized many, many times, we very strongly believe in, uh, you know, minimizing the requirements for opioids in, in any way we can. But I'm gonna bring up a couple of concepts that then introduces the, the article we're gonna focus on. So with intensive regimented opioid reduction programs, there is some level of concern for return to use of opioids and the risk of uh, uh, suicide attempts and overdose, whether that be with opioids or other substances, when we're utilizing these um, uh, regimented uh, strict uh, 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 reductions in opioids. So just as an example, uh, Dr. Huffman and colleagues in 2017, they published a retrospective review of patients who had intensive outpatient opioid tapers, and they found initial success, significant success with the taper. However, um, when they looked at the one-year outcome data, there was over a 30% uh, relapse of patients going back on opioids through different providers or uh, different systems. Um, so pretty significant proportion of patients that had that initial success then reverting back to use of opioids. Uh, even more concerning uh, is the article that was published very recently by Dr. Oliva and colleagues in 2020. This was evaluating over 1 million uh, veterans uh, in the VA system, and they found uh, a significant increased risk of overdose and suicide after opioid cessation uh, with, as Dr. Hovez brought up, you know, uh, which obviously makes sense, uh, thinking about the science behind it and just common sense uh, thought process, but um, the longer these patients are on opioids, the more problematic it's gonna be in terms of this uh, taper. So what this article found was that the hazard ratio uh, increased um, significantly uh, for patients in terms of those outcomes, uh, uh, overdose attempt and, and suicide, um, uh, the hazard ratio increased to 6.77 for patients that had been on opioids for uh, greater than 400 days. And this is compared to 1.67 hazard ratio for patients who, who were on opioids for less than or equal to about a month. Um, 
so the importance of this research and other research is not, like I said, uh, to emphasize, not to present an argument that patients with chronic non-cancer pain should be continued on opioids. Um, uh, as Dr. Hobes and I have stated many times, and I do believe uh, strongly that based upon the best available ev evidence, typically the risk of long-term full mu opioids uh, use for chronic non-cancer pain, the risks are gonna outweigh the benefits typically. Um, and we, uh, myself and Dr. Hobes in our, our practice, we work tire tirelessly to optimize non-opioid uh, treatment strategies and options uh, for our patients. However, I do think that these articles highlight the importance of how we go about uh, minimizing opioids for these patients and you know, working to do so in the safest, uh, most effective and, and most evidence-based uh, manner we can. So you know, this, uh, these, these concerns and this thought process has contributed to the motivation behind some research that's being done uh, by uh, individuals, including uh, Dr. Uh, Maiza Zayadini. I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Um, and so she published a four-month trial um, that had really good and encouraging results, but then she obviously wanted to show the durability, sustainability of those outcomes. So she recently published um, uh, long-term data regarding a patient-centered uh, opioid prescription um, uh, tapering approach. And this article was titled, Patient-Centered Prescription Opioid Tapering in Community Outpatients with Chronic Pain, uh, Two to Three Year Follow-Up in a Subset of Patients. And so bottom line, the results of this study were that at two and three year follow-up, 95% um, of patients had reduced their uh, morphine equivalent daily dose uh, compared to baseline. And just to put some numbers on that, so the average uh, morphine equivalent daily dose at baseline was 298. Um, and then at that two to three year follow-up, the average uh, morphine equivalent daily dose was 65 in, that, in the patient population. Um, the, in terms of pain, so the over 50%, so 52% of patients reported improvement in pain from baseline with their opioid reduction. Um, uh, not, you know, shocking, uh, or I shouldn't say not uh, drastic numbers, but the average pain was 4.6 at baseline and was 3.9 on a VAS score uh, at the two to three year follow-up, which did end up being uh, significant statistically. Um, there was 20, of note, there was 24% of those patients who did report an increase in pain uh, with their opioid reduction. So essentially the conclusion of this study was that through this patient-centered approach, there was stable, durable, significant opioid reduction with an overall improvement uh, in pain in the majority of uh, the patients. Um, and you know, this idea of a patient-centered uh, reduction in opioids is you know, su su support, uh, supported by um, uh, by uh, institutions in our in our country. For example, the uh, uh, the guidelines from the Health and Human Services uh, that were published in 2019, um, and you can find that by typing in "guide for clinicians on the appropriate dosage reduction or discontinuation discontinuation of long-term opioid analgesics." Um, but essentially, those guidelines they do emphasize that whenever possible. Um, a patient-centered uh, opioid reduction strategy should be utilized. Now, of course, it, it hopefully goes without saying, there are going to be patients that, you know, are high risk for whatever reason, um, if they have a history of substance abuse, if they've demonstrated significant aberrancy, you know, of course, in those patients, 
you most you you will need to have a more regimented and pot potentially a more rapid taper. But um, you know, going back to the studies where we talked about the risk with that taper, those patients do need support. Um, uh, implemented, you know, uh, whether that's mental health uh, or social workers, um, and also obviously the uh, clinician being there uh, uh, as much as they can as well. But um, you know, there there is a need for support and and other services uh, during those rapid tapers uh, and during those regimented tapers. But when we're not dealing with that high risk uh, patient population, um, uh, there is. I guess, growing data to support the consideration of this uh, uh, patient-centered. Um, obviously, and as uh, Dr. Hovis and I'm sure we'll have a discussion regarding, you know, obviously with guidance from the provider, because we understand that, you know, these opioids, there is a, there is a significant component of, you know, physiologic dependence, even if, even if there isn't uh, some level of addiction going on, um, it's very, you know, it is a difficult process for these uh, patients and they do need our support and our coaching and the constant uh, emphasizing of why we're doing this. And, and as I'm sure you've heard, heard me say in prior, you know, uh, talks, I always emphasize to the patient, you know, it's not just the tolerance, dependence, addiction, and death that we're worried about for these opioid medications. It's the other long-term health risks, the increased risk of cardiovascular events, especially in uh, women and females, the uh, suppression of the immune system, the alterate, alteration of the uh, uh, endocrine system, the hormones, the uh, increased risk of depression uh, and other psychiatric conditions, the lowering of the pain threshold. Um, Dr. Hovez and I, I think it was in May of 2019 that we had a, a detailed podcast uh, regarding opioid-induced uh, hyperalgesia uh, in the spectrum of that in terms of lowering the pain threshold. So, you know, making sure uh, that we emphasize those things to the patient and reinforcing to them. And also, you know, the data that we just went over in terms of this uh, study by Dr. Zaidini, we can show them, look, you know, here's long-term data, three-year data showing that you know, that fear, because patients are going to have a fear of, well, hey, this is, you know, I have this severe pain and this is the only thing that works for it. Um, but showing this, them this long-term data of, look, not only can you successfully reduce this medication that we're worried about all these long-term health consequences for you, um, but in addition, most likely this is actually going to improve your pain and function based upon the best available data that we have and that is growing. Yeah. I mean, the way that I normally have, um, you know, at least try to convey that to patients uh, is, you know, the idea that, you know, we're, we're here for you. We're not trying to just make things better, but uh, for today and tomorrow, but also five and 10 years from now, right? We want to put you in the best position to have long-term success. And, you know, and getting that patient buy-in is uh, obviously from what the literature that you just uh, presented, extremely important. I mean, I think this goes for anything that we're doing as, you know, physicians in general, but, you know, especially as pain medicine providers, you know, the, it's the outcomes from every intervention and procedure that we do uh, are based off of the patient's belief and uh, ability to buy into, you know, the treatment plan at, at large. And so the more that we're able uh, to educate them well, um, but really to get them to, to believe in what we're, what we're, what we believe in, right? Those, those outcomes, those, uh, that path. Um, and it is challenging and it is, I think a, uh, you know, a conversation that, you know, we develop skills for over time uh, and that, you know, I, frankly, I mean, recently with the, with how we've been seeing patients, I I've told a lot of patients, like the first couple of months of this, 
is going to be a lot of work, right? It's going to be challenging. Um, but I, I'm, I'm confident that, you know, the medium to long-term outcomes are going to be significantly better if we make these changes for you. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I think there are a lot of tools that we can provide for patients, obviously a lot of education that we can provide for them um, to be able to, to be more successful and to help to direct their care and their belief that, you know, they can try to, you know, get into a better position and do and, and get wean off of the medications that, and that we know have these kind of poor long-term outcomes for them. Yeah, definitely. And I think just to wrap up, like Dr. Tobas and I brought up in the beginning that, you know, this is a, we may in the future, in the, in the, uh, in the not too long future, uh, continue to discuss the idea that, you know, this, uh, if, if the provider, if the, if the, uh, if, if the healthcare provider is really putting it all on their shoulders and saying, okay, you know, I'm going to get you better. Um, I, I'm going to do this procedure or give you this medication. And it's more of the provider putting the hundred percent of the responsibility on themselves to get that patient better. Uh, and the patient being more passive in that relationship, just accepting the, accepting the pill, you know, passively taking the pill or, or just getting the procedure. And then uh, that being that, um, we just know not only, not only from our clinical experience, but also the data that's out there that um, if we can, if we can work with the patient for them to be, you know, very active as well in that, in that treatment process, then, then we're going to have so much better results. And that does not, uh, you know, when I originally started thinking about this, um, I, I had this initial thought of like, well, no, I, I want to, you know, do everything I can. And you, in fact, it is even more difficult and you are doing even more um, uh, for the patient by, by, you know, not only you doing everything you can as a provider, but getting them to buy in and to participate as well. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. As you were talking about that, I was thinking about back about my days as a personal trainer, um, you know, and I think you could probably think of the same thing as when you were an athlete, right? And the coach or the personal trainer, you know, can, can be amazing, can do, can give you the perfect regimen, you know, the perfect tools to be able to succeed. But, you know, unless they can actually engage you to, you know, to buy into the entire process, right, to, to do all of those other things, it's, you're not going to become, you're not going to reach your potential, you know, on the basketball court, you know, in the gym, you know, or in, in our case, I think, which is, you know, obviously a much different situation, but the, the themes are the same, right? You know, we're not going to be able to get our patients into the best place that we can, you know, not, we're not going to be able to utilize these amazing tools that we talk about on a weekly basis uh, to the best of those tools as abilities, if we can't help the patients understand that this that they need to they need to take an active role in uh, in in their treatment plan and in making sure that you know they're going to be in a better position three years from now or six months from now um, and so yeah I I uh, I, th I think you did a fantastic job of uh, of wrapping that in and hopefully we can explore this further in the future um, to in terms of tools and ways that we can engage patients. Uh, and in ways that we can deliver this message better to kind of help, you know, from all aspects, right? Whether whether you are a personal trainer, a, a, a college basketball player, or a pain medicine physician uh, who's trying to engage your patients uh, to be able to have these better outcomes, um, better engagement into their own care. All right, Dr. K, closing thoughts? That's it. Have a great rest of the week, guys. All right, guys, stay tuned for those legal disclaimers, and we will see you next week.
Now for that legal disclaimer. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only. It is not meant to be medical advice. If anything discussed may pertain to you, please seek counsel with your healthcare provider. The views expressed are those of the individuals expressing them. They may not represent the views of Spine and Nerve Diagnostic Center.